I wonder if you've ever said something you shouldn't have said. If we're being honest and a little bit self-aware, I think we've all probably experienced this on some level, right? Those moments where we wished we could hit the pause button, rewind, and have the exchange all over again. These situations of putting our foot in our mouth. I've always thought that phrase was a strange one, but I've been someone quite familiar with the practice of finding myself in that position. Sometimes sometimes we, we say that someone doesn't have much of a filter. We kind of excuse it in that way. But, but for many of us, we speak in the moment. We choose to answer a question or make an observation that comes to our mind that might be our honest response. It, it just might not be the kindest thing that we could have said or the most thought through words. And our words in that moment, they might cause us embarrassment or they might even cause pain to someone else. So of course we want to take it back, right? To edit our words, to take our foot out of our mouth. There might be several motivations for speaking quickly or speaking those cringeworthy foot-and-mouth style one-liners. For some, it's a a desire to be funny, right? For others, it's simply an inability to find the right words, the right way to say something. Words intended to be kind, or as a compliment even, but end up just not sounding right. There are other reasons we make these missteps. For some people, it's a diagnosable condition that, that makes social cues more challenging, and they have to really work at it. For others, it's cultural differences or even language differences. Some, some things that sound rude to us can be explained because of someone's background. You see, attempts at communication, especially in those moments where we speak, can cause all sorts of confusion and potentially cause pain. But I think there's another reason going on here. A friend of mine recently shared with a group of friends that he wanted to learn more about small talk, about how to do small talk. And we all kind of looked at him a little bit like, what are you talking about? I thought it was honestly such a strange thing for him to to bring up like this. I actually was thinking about this. That might have been a a way of engaging in small talk, right, to bring up that desire to learn small talk. And At first, I wasn't convinced. I'm not sure that you could learn small talk. And then I I looked with him. We were all kind of looking together and found, oh my gosh, there are a lot of resources on how to learn to have small talk. But I wanted to know more from him. So I, I asked him a little bit more. Tell me more about this. And he says he felt awkward in those situations where there was silence. And he wanted to, to develop the skills to engage with people and fill the silence. And so he would practice in a variety of ways. And interestingly, the weather became his go-to in those moments. But the problem was, on our trip that we were all on, we were at a wedding in, in Santa Barbara, and it's beautiful there every day. And he found that he was having trouble because there was nothing to talk about because the weather was perfect. And so his go-to line was, the weather's perfect here every day, isn't it? And then it would just end because the person would say, yes. And he was in trouble, and he says, I need to learn more. And he says, I wanted to, to fill the awkward silence. I feel awkward when there's silence. So he'd practice all these ways. And, and I, I learned that there have been a lot of studies about the evolution of silence, especially in our modern culture and the way that silence brings awkwardness, particularly in these social settings. 
We have been conditioned, whether we're more introverted or extroverted, we've been conditioned to try and fill the silence. Even where many of us, many people, need a little bit of time to process, to to think through things, to form our thoughts or develop our questions, we often value as a society the responses of people who are quick to speak. We even place some societal or, or intellectual strength as being able to respond as fast as possible. Last week in our gospel text, for the first time, Jesus tells his disciples that he would suffer and die. And Peter reacts in that moment, do you remember how? It's sudden. He reacts suddenly. You'll remember that he's shocked. He's shocked, and our text says that Jesus, that he took Jesus aside and rebuked Jesus. Rebuke is such a strong word, right? But Peter was obviously not pleased. He was very upset. He was shocked, and he was also concerned that Jesus was saying things that were going to confuse other people and drive away followers. And there's no silence in that moment. There's no silence. There were quick words, quick words. But in this morning's text, we have Jesus walking again with the disciples, And Jesus tells them for the second time, and there'll be a third coming up, but in the second time, he tells them that he's going to die. This time he adds that he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to be killed, and three days later, he'll rise again. There's a stark contrast, though, from last week's text, because after he says this, our text says that the disciples did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. In this moment, the response of of the disciples before Jesus is to say nothing. It's a stark contrast from Peter's anger the last time that, that causes him to lash out. But in this moment, when they lack understanding, they say nothing to Jesus. And their, their silence is, is perhaps driven by fear. Remember, they already saw Peter get laid into when he challenged Jesus about it. But maybe the silence is simply that, that they don't understand what he means, or, or maybe it's this new part that he added about betrayal, and they're confused. They don't understand, and they likely have questions for Jesus. But the more I read this text, the more I see that they're actually not all that silent, They're silent in the moment, and they don't respond to Jesus or engage Jesus with their questions, and they don't even voice their lack of understanding or ask Jesus to explain what's going on or even push back on Jesus like Peter had done. Instead, as they continue on their dusty way, our text says that they eventually arrive at their destination, and once they get there, Jesus asks them, so what were you all arguing about? along the way. What were you arguing about? You see, at some point in the midst of their confusion about their, uh, these things that Jesus have sa- has said, that in the midst of their, their lack of understanding with this strange news of his coming death, they pivot. They pivot, perhaps initially maybe some small talk in that awkwardness of the silence, they pivot to the small talk, and, and, and 
then there's perhaps maybe even some anxiety that they feel, and whatever they're talking about, whatever they're talking about, they've been arguing now. And Jesus asks them about it. The disciples put it this way. When Jesus asks them what they're arguing about, they respond with silence. What an image, right? I I wonder how many of you have ever had someone respond to a question with silence. Silence speaks loudly sometimes, especially when it's an answer to a question and especially a question we don't want to answer. There's so many examples in life where our silence evidences that maybe even the truth is simply something we don't want to utter or something too hard to utter. And the truth shows maybe too much about our own character. And this is precisely what's going on in this moment with the disciples. Jesus has talked to them about his upcoming death and resurrection. They don't know what he's talking about. They ignore him. They move past that silence, and they start arguing. I want to look a little closer at that progression. I wonder if you've ever been like the disciples in this position. They get bad news from Jesus, or news they can't understand, and yes, they don't understand what he's saying, and they ignore it, and they keep walking, and they get themselves into an argument they really shouldn't be in. This happens all the time in our relationships. We end up in an argument that we probably shouldn't be in. Rather than discussing the difficult things that are going on in our life, we take our confusion or fear related to those things, and we argue about other things. The argument has nothing to do with what's giving us concern, but it becomes the place where our energy goes. Rather than sitting even in the silence of our confusion or working through our questions or voicing our anxiety, we move from that that silence or that uncertainty to filling the silence with energy, with something else. And that's how the disciples find themselves where they are now, arguing about this question of which one of them is the greatest. Now, it's a helpful reminder when we're reading from Mark's gospel that we believe that many of Mark's accounts come from information he learned from Peter. Peter is often seen as the primary source that Mark relied upon. So that's part of why we often see the disciples cast in in very human light and, frankly, looking a bit like stumbling fools. We saw it last week as as well when Peter um, rebukes Jesus and then Jesus rebukes Peter back. This makes a little more sense, I think, when you learn that Peter is the one who we think recounted these experiences to Mark. I I would say that all of us are a little more self-deprecating when we share our own stories. But there's also the reality that that these disciples, they're not meant to be exemplars of perfect people. Uh, Pastor and prophet Nadia Boltz-Weber, she writes that never once did Jesus scan the room for the best example of holy living and then send that person out to tell others about him. He always sent stumblers and sinners I love that. And thank goodness that's true, right? Because the same thing is happening today. Jesus is calling us. Jesus is calling modern-day stumblers and sinners. Thank goodness. So these stumblers and sinners, they, they're making their way to whatever is coming next, to wherever Jesus is calling and sending them. And they go from, from uh, trying to fill 
the silence of their confusion to sitting in silence in reaction to this challenge that Jesus puts before them. And, and, and rather than trying to face their own challenges and trying to understand how to approach them faithfully on bended knee, humbly before God, these disciples, and often all of us, resort to argument or to finding distractions to try and silence the confusion, to mute the questions that lie deep within us. Now, sometimes these arguments, these distractions, can, can, uh, are arguments that we can win, but other times, like the argument between these disciples, the, the reason this argument is so perfect is, is it's an argument that's never going to see a winner. They're, they're arguments that are created by us solely to avoid the real issues, the underlying issues, the subtexts of our lives. Now, The good news for the disciples is that Jesus does call them out on this. He calls them out on their uh, their argument, in the midst of their argument, and he essentially answers their dispute. He takes away the strength of their argument in a way that probably made them wish they'd never argued in the first place. Jesus says some of the most familiar words we may have ever heard in Scripture, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Jesus does two things here, at least two that I see. First, Jesus guts their space-filling, silence-avoiding argument. He, he takes all of the wind out of the sail. He reorients them to how God sees the world and how God sees them and how God desires that they would see one another and see the world around them. He doesn't take away their ambition to be the greatest. I wonder if you noticed that. He, he knows, Jesus knows, that isn't the real issue. But instead, he says, okay, if you want to be the greatest, then you need to look around you. You need to look around you, and you need to look for the least, the ones rejected by society, the ones who are often seen as lesser humans, the ones who are treated poorly. You need to look at them and serve them. And in serving the least, we serve Jesus. We serve God, and in serving God, the one in whose image we were created, we become more and more of the greatest we can be, one with the one who created us. Jesus uses this opportunity to continue to shape the kingdom on earth that he's been modeling and teaching about during their whole time with him. When Jesus asks the disciples about their foolish argument, they stop talking and they're silent. They can't continue their absurd argument about which one of them is the greatest, and so they're silent. There's a lot in that silence, in that moment of silence, and I sometimes wish that God would encounter me on the road and ask me the question, what were you arguing about What were you worrying about? What were you complaining about? What were you angry about? Why were you afraid? What are you looking for? What are you doing? And while I don't discount any of the emotions that might underlie all of those reactions to the world, my reactions, your reactions, reactions of of fear, anxiety, anger, concern, worry, purpose, 
all of these questions, I, I know there are times, and there are many times, when my response, when I face Jesus, needs to be silence. Needs to be silence so that I can be reminded to set my heart and my mind on being about the work that Jesus calls each one of us to be about. But this is a tale of two silences, because I also hope that when I have questions, when I struggle with my faith, when I don't understand what Jesus is calling me to do and be, when life's transitions come, or when difficult things happen in my life, when I receive bad news, or, or when we're, we're disappointed, or when the answers we seek are met with confusion, I hope that rather than resorting to running away, or, or detouring, or avoiding the silent struggle, to fill it with something else, I hope that I hope that I, I hope that you will go to God in your silence. I hope that we can learn to listen to our hearts and all of the emotions we carry and then bring our hearts before God. Listening to those questions, the ones that, that maybe someone told us we shouldn't be asking. Don't ask that question in church. But to take those questions before God in silence. And maybe in doing so, we can grow comfortable with that silence and with not having all of the answers all of the time and not filling the moment with what's on our mind, but rather sitting with, with Scripture, sitting in prayer, finding deliberate contentment in the discomfort of the unknown. The disciples didn't understand in that moment what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah the one who would face death. And they were afraid to ask Jesus about this. Instead of coming before Jesus, instead they filled their confused silence with an argument, an argument that initially took them even further away, even took them further away from understanding who Jesus was. And I wonder how often we find ourselves like those disciples, struggling to understand who Jesus was, and who Jesus is, and what it means to follow Jesus. Or struggling to understand what it means to follow Jesus in our career, or with our family, or in the midst of all that we carry. Rather than running from that confusion, or, or running away from God in the midst of our confusion, my prayer for each of us is that we'll lean into it willing to light a candle and ask God and ask one another the difficult questions, willing to put in the time and the effort to learn, examine, and grow, to, to learn about the witness and revelation of God in the world today and also in the scriptures and in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and in the lives and the stories, my friends, of one another. But in the midst of all of this, to sit in the silence, to encounter Jesus in the silence, bringing our whole selves before God, and expectantly waiting with God for the ways that God will continue to surprise you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.